0: This is Luke chapter six, beginning in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, this is not my real voice. Um, I uh, I do pray this morning that my voice will last for this entire sermon. Um, maybe one of you can also get me a whiskey so I can complete the uniform, and uh, it'll all go together, as it were. Um, This morning, we are dropping into what is called the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's gospel, it is titled the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus is teaching people how they can live in a way that fulfills righteousness in light of the coming kingdom. And the manner in which he teaches is is honestly very similar to that of of the Old Testament writer Solomon. Early in the history of Israel, God gave them the law. But the scriptures that were written during the time of the kings were actually centered more on wisdom than on the law, strictly speaking. And what we see in Solomon's writing is not just the law, but wisdom unpacking the logic of the law, unpacking the deeper truths of the law. Jesus is doing the same thing here in these verses. These verses, we are seeing the deeper ways that the principles of God's law can be expressed and lived out. So Jesus isn't changing the law. He's re-articulating it. He is confirming it for a new age and the coming of the kingdom. Now, before we get into the text itself, I'd like to get into some context. The Pharisees, who were the the Jewish religious elite, who were Israel's teachers. They really wanted to restore Israel by teaching them to live holy lives completely separate from the world. They wanted Israel to be set apart and distinct from the world in, in every way, in everything that they did. And while Jesus agrees that that God's law should be extended to all of life, the specifics of his teaching were radically different than the Pharisees. So rather than being a program of separation and condemnation of the world, Jesus teaches a way of living that is formed by mercy. It's formed by self-giving. It's formed by love. The command to love is the thrust of Jesus' teaching in this text. Now, in one sense, this, this really isn't a new commandment. In Leviticus 19, a book of the Old Testament, the law commands Israel to love their neighbors as themselves. And it also prohibits vengeance. It prohibits holding grudges against others. However, in another sense, Jesus' commandments intensify the demands of the law. So here, instead of urging love only for neighbors who will love in return, Jesus commands his disciples to love those who hate them. See, what, what really marks out the sons of the Most High, what truly marks true Israel is not separation and purity as as the Pharisees thought, but love for enemies, doing good to enemies, giving to them without expecting in return, forgiving them, not condemning them. It is a merciful, redeeming love that marks God's people. Let's listen to Jesus' words again. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I find it very interesting that Jesus' command to love enemies doesn't eliminate the category of enemy. When Jesus says, Love your enemies, we might think that Jesus is essentially asking us to make sure that we don't have any enemies. But that's not what he says. In essence, he says, You will have enemies. You will. If you are my disciples, you will have enemies. But don't ignore them. Don't avoid them. Don't revile them. Love them. Actively seek to bless them and give to them and pray for their good. Now These verses have been a source of, of a great deal of debate. Is Jesus teaching pacifism, masochism? Is he telling the disciples to ignore injustice? Is he telling Israel to take the insults now because once they're in power, they'll be able to return fire? Hold on, I'm gonna get you your kingdom back and then you can let them have it. But for now, you gotta take it. No, those interpretations don't square very well with the scriptures. See, Jesus is gonna tell his disciples to go to the nations with the gospel message and to teach them everything that he has commanded them. And that clearly includes this teaching. And I want us to remember this, and I think this is a really sobering piece. Remember who Jesus is talking to He's talking to his disciples. He's delivering this teaching to his friends, all of whom, almost all of whom, will meet their death as martyrs, loving their enemies and doing good to those who abuse them, kill them. Jesus is going to commission these men to teach the nations to turn the other cheek to give to him who asks, to love their enemies. So this is not a temporary ethic that Jesus is delivering. It's part of Jesus' teaching for the nations. This is kingdom citizenship. And it's a way of life for the powerful and the powerless. But I know as we hear these words, I know as we sit under this today, this does not sound like wisdom. And it's not the default setting of our hearts to love those who oppose us or pray for those who seek our harm. So why should we do this? Why should we do this? What is the deeper wisdom here? Well, throughout human history, there has been a great tragedy a great tragedy, and we've all been a part of it. Someone insults or harms another person, and that leads to a counterstrike, a response. And that leads to another response, and another response, and another response, and that can create a conflict that can persist until someone stops or everyone is dead. This cycle is everywhere in our world, everywhere. Gang violence in our cities, Rwanda in the mid 90s, for Serbs, Croatian, Tutsis and Hutus, all the evil that's been done for centuries has to be avenged, but when that vengeance has happened, it just continues that same cycle. Now maybe we think in light of this, well, I've never been at odds with my family or my coworkers. I've never been tempted to retaliate against my friends, so I don't think this really applies to me. But I want us to think about it for a few moments. We, we still act out of vengeance in our marriages, our friendships, with difficult people at work, with people in the church, with our own children. We've, we've all been there. A friend insults you. Someone makes you look silly or foolish. Maybe your spouse does something not just embarrassing, but damaging. And you want some kind of payback or a chance to settle the account. But this is our sin. This is what we do. So Jesus tells his disciples and us, He tells them, do not get caught up in this cycle. Do not get caught up in the cycle of honor and violence because if you do, to the extent that you do, you're only going to contribute more to the problem. And there's no telling when it will stop. In the Old Testament, there was a law of retribution that was a, a principle of civil justice. It was something that Israel lived by. And it said that if someone damaged a person or their property, they had to restore what they had damaged or or suffer the same damage to themselves. And in Jesus' instruction here, he doesn't annul the principle of this law. Rather, he describes a paradoxical and surprising fulfillment of that law to be slapped, whether with a forehand or a backhand, was an insult. And Jesus says, instead of carrying out retribution, instead of carrying out that principle, that law of retribution by returning a slap for a slap, instead of returning the insult, I'm calling on you disciples to bear the burden of retribution to offer to receive the slap that you would give upon yourself. It's a double restitution that Jesus is calling his people to live in. The disciple bears the punishment on behalf of the one who assaults him. So Jesus says, if a Roman soldier takes your cloak, give him your shirt too. Stand naked in front of him. Take the vengeance upon yourself not on him. See, Jesus, Jesus in this is directing us away from the cycle of vengeance. But he is also forbidding us from doing nothing. He's not asking us just to accept evil. It's not redemptive righteousness just to accept evil, just to accept oppression. Jesus is teaching us a form of resistance, but a form of resistance in which good triumphs over evil. Instead of perpetuating insults and blows and retaliations, Jesus teaches us to act in a surprising way that brings an end to that cycle. Even if the insults never stop. We take the insult and we respond with love. Someone opposes you, you pray for them. Someone dishonors you, you bless them. Someone seeks your failure, you seek their good. This is so hard. But there's also something else into which Jesus is drawing us. Let's keep reading. Verse 32 But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Admittedly, at first reading, I thought it's actually of great benefit to me, if I love those who love me and do good to those who do good to me, I mean, maybe you had a similar thought. It seems to be of great benefit to have a mutually loving relationship. Who, who doesn't that benefit? But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. The words here for benefit and credit is the word grace. Grace. And it suggests a redemptive grace. In other words, when we love those who love us, it's wonderful. But nothing lost is being redeemed. When we love our enemies, what is happening? What Jesus is telling us is happening. When we love our enemies, we are enacting a redemptive grace. A redemptive love It's redeeming something or someone who is lost. When we bless our enemies, we die to ourselves and we seek the resurrection of another. And that is true whether we're reconciling with our spouse, seeking forgiveness with an old friend, or praying for our greatest enemy. Every strife is is kind of like a death. And every loving act is kind of like a resurrection. And it's by the power of God's spirit within us and the finished work of Christ appropriated to us that any of this is possible. Through Christ, by the power of his spirit, we can be people who live like this. Jesus does not conquer by killing. Every other conquering king has conquered through killing, but not Jesus. He wins his throne and conquers the world, not by killing, but by dying. And not just by dying, but by dying for his enemies. And we read this account of this coming king and kingdom, When we read that, we realize something terrifying that we were his enemies. Paul says it this way For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Sojourn, we were the enemies to whom he showed his redemptive grace. We were the enemies that he blessed when we opposed him, the enemies he prayed for while we ignored him, the enemies that he loved though we did not love him. Jesus wins by dying. He conquers by dying. And I'm telling you all of that because I want you to understand that he still intends to conquer by dying. To conquer the world through his people as they join him in loving their enemies as he has loved his enemies. As we move to close, I just want to offer just a few thoughts. even as we do this, even as we endeavor by God's spirit and by the work of Christ, as we endeavor to do this, to love our enemies, just a few thoughts. Sometimes we as Christians capitulate to the culture in the name of love. Under that banner, we can become pleasers of man rather than pleasers of God. And we can forget that his word is still our current authority. And when we make that mistake, many of the things we implicitly condone are actively harmful to our neighbors that we're called to love. And that includes our enemies. Part of us loving our enemies is still to hold true to God's truth, God's word, and to speak the truth in love. Secondly, when Jesus speaks of judgment in the closing verses, he is telling his disciples, do not judge in the ultimate sense. We should not put ourselves in the position of the judge. That is God's seat alone, never ours. But as Christians, we are still called to judge and discern in the immediate sense. We recognize and identify what is evil in the world, what is lovely, what is okay, what is really awful, what's really wonderful, and everything in between. As Paul will say later to the church, do you not know that you will judge angels? We are not the judge, but as those in Christ, we are judges of what is right and wrong according to God's word. And to do that, to administer that grace and discernment to the world is part of loving our enemies. It's part of us loving the world. And finally, in light of all of this, I I do want us to consider the fact that we can still pray the imprecatory Psalms. The imprecatory psalms are the psalms in scripture that where the psalmist calls upon God to deal justly with evil and wickedness. That's part of us not playing the judge. We entrust that to God. We entrust that ultimate judge with all of the power that he already has. We see throughout the Old Testament that true love is that which is willing to faithfully wound the one who is loved. So God's justice can be understood as that which interrupts the violence of the wicked. And we should ask God to do that. His judgment confronts the wicked with the reality of who they've become and it ceases this never-ending cycle towards increasing inhumanity and destruction. And so to pray those psalms is actually asking God to stop the self-destruction of our enemies in their destruction of others. And that is fundamentally a prayer for the good of those enemies for whom we pray. I'm sure that when the religious elite murdered Jesus's cousin John, he was extremely upset. Right after that happened, what does he do? He retreats to pray. And I'm sure amongst other things, a call for God to deal with evil was on his lips. Sojourn, this kind of love that we're talking about is a merciful love. When Jesus instructs his followers to love their enemies, he appeals to the example of the father. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Love your enemies as God would love them. This is the paradoxical fulfillment that participates in the coming of the kingdom of God. This is the act that restores harmony and peace and justice in the world. Love for enemies is mercy. Praying for and doing good to those who persecute us and hurt us is mature obedience and discipleship. It's the sort of righteousness that undoes the knots of evil that tie up the human race so that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we enact this kind of love, when we live this kind of love, we are sons of the most high and we will be rewarded. So I know this might be a very a very challenging word for us. I, I know that all of us are, are facing this cycle of vengeance in in some way, maybe in low levels, maybe in really high levels. In our homes, with our extended families, with coworkers, our difficulty and strife with them, maybe, maybe even in our parishes. And it's so personal, which makes it that much harder to navigate with grace and understanding. But I do know that every one of those pain points, whether you're at odds with your parents, or your spouse, or someone you used to be a friend, it's worth every bit of your care. It's worth every bit of our care. There are so many stories in here, and this this sermon is not going to touch every single one of them. So we need to continue to talk about this in all of our respective stories, all of our respective relationships, how do I love this person? How do I bless this person? We can discern and talk together. We should discern and talk together because we, as the church here at Sojourn, should have an understanding of how do we love our enemies? What does that look like in our life as the church? And for the kids of Sojourn, for the kids of Sojourn, will you give me your attention just for a moment? I want you to think about your relationships this week with your parents, your teachers, your siblings, your classmates, your neighbors, the people in your parish. I want you to think how you might love or do good to a few of those people, particularly someone you think you might not have a great relationship with. I want you to talk about it with your parish. I want you to ask the question, how can we love our enemies? How can we love those who don't love Jesus? How can we love those who don't love the gospel? And I think that goes for all of us. So you may, May God strengthen us. May he love us in these endeavors. Let me fuel us by his spirit to do this good work. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this word. Lord, the command to love our enemies. Lord, it is a it is a sophisticated love. Lord, we we need wisdom to know how to love in ways that are truly redemptive. Or would you give us, God, the the grace? <clears throat> would you help us to be? in real ways, a less offended people. (laughs) That we might actually be a people who are resilient, who take slaps on the face and continue to bless. Lord, I know in in our cultural moment, in our in the moment we find ourselves in just in history, it feels like that's exactly what we shouldn't do. We should self-protect. We should take care of ourselves. We should guard ourselves from difficulty like that. But, but you call us to this kind of redemptive love because that's who you are. Lord, would you help us Make us more like your son in this, this mature stature of being able to discern evil for evil, but to actually do good to those who insult, to those who abuse. God, this is something that we, we can't do this on our own. Please help us, we pray, and we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen.